Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. Um, all right, I got to be honest with you today. Uh, this is one of those lessons, one of those sermons today that I say has been the death of me. And I mean that in a good way. It means that God is continuously speaking to me over and over and over again. And when I think it's done, it's not done. And, and I've realized it's not done until I preach it. <laughs> um, because God keeps revealing more revelations to me. And I have to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Um, and so God looked at my plans and he said, I want to change it. <laughs> so I have to be obedient to that. And when the Lord speaks to me, the sermon's better anyway. So I trust him with that. And today's message is going to be one of my very first to be continued sermons. Uh, because I warned you last week to, today, we're talking about family, family issues. And the story that we're going over today is so entangled within drama that if I were just to rush it in 30 to 45 minutes, we would miss so much of the story that we can learn from. And so I don't want to just skip past things. I want to take our time with it and really learn how to forgive family, especially right now if you're struggling with family. If you're struggling with loving your parents or loving a sibling right now, or there's hurt or devastation or division that's taking place right now, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus can heal the wounds. And Jesus already knows your cries and he can heal whatever it is that is happening. But that also means that you have to walk by faith and you have to surrender your will to his. And a lot of us don't clap when it comes to that one, but you actually have to surrender your will to his. You have to listen to when he says, forgive somebody that you don't want to forgive. When he says, call somebody that you don't want to call because it's the only way to bring peace back into the family. And God is going to use you for a testimony, even when it's difficult to do so. And so I got to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. We all do. Um, And I also want to give you this warning when it comes to David's life and the entanglement that we're talking about today. uh, Part of it could have been on Dateline. (laughs) It's so crazy. The other half of it could have been on the Jerry Springer show. And and next week, some of the stories we'll be talking about are rated R, just so you know. So welcome to Bible teachings with Pastor Chandler. All right. You didn't know the Bible could be so raw, but it is because these are real people who love the Lord, but made mistakes. And so chaos and division took place in their family. And today we're going to talk about David's beloved son, Absalom. And we're going to talk about his betrayal against his father. A father loved his son, but his son was rebelling against him and wanted to overtake his throne. And then we're going to talk about the loss of his son, Absalom, that David loved him, but he finds himself in this battle with his son that he doesn't want to be in. And now he's fighting somebody that he loves. He's going against somebody that he wants to care for and protect, but now it's gone so far, he doesn't know how to bring it back home. He doesn't know how to bring his son into his arms. And so I'm gonna read out of 2 Samuel chapter 18. Now, this is the end of the story just to give you a glimpse of what takes place in the end and how tragic it becomes. But verse 32 and 33, it says, the king, talking about David, asked the Ethiopian, is young Absalom, his son, all right? The Ethiopian answered, May your enemies or whoever tries to hurt you suffer the same as this young man did. And so he became upset because he knew that Absalom was dead. And then the Bible tells us that he went upstairs to the room over the gate crying, Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, my son, I wish I had died instead of you. He loved his son, but things got too bad in the family. And so the title of today's message is this, it's hard to forgive your family. It's hard to forgive family, especially if somebody has broken your heart or no longer has your trust because they said they would be there for you. They were supposed to be there, but they were never there. They never called you. They never texted and they never showed up. And the truth is when it comes to the subject about forgiveness is that we all want forgiveness, but it's very difficult to give out to other people, especially our own family and siblings and parents. And so there's a lot to talk about. So let's go ahead and dive in. Point number one is this though. When we fail to take action, guess what? The enemy will take action instead. When we fail to take action, the enemy will take action instead. When you fail to protect your house by the word of God, when you fail to pray over your family, over your children, over your marriage, guess what? You're allowing the enemy to just walk into your home and divide everybody and tear everything up because you're not giving it over to the Lord. When you fail to protect your house, you're allowing a, a door to be open for the enemy to come right in. And sometimes he comes in with the screens of culture. But what you watch, what you listen to, sometimes he comes in with drama and gossip. Sometimes he comes in by making you upset 
petty little disagreements that everybody's so prideful, nobody wants to say I'm sorry. We don't like to say I'm sorry. And so we'd rather hold on to a grudge that damages a relationship forever instead of bringing peace. And I'm looking at the story of David now. We talked about him and his fall with Bathsheba. And I noticed that after his fall with Bathsheba, his character just completely changed. We know David as a warrior. At the age of 15, he took down Goliath. He was always fighting battles. But now, remember when he saw Bathsheba, how old was he? Around 60 years old. Yeah, grandpa still had it in him, okay? 60 years old. And now we're looking at the story. He's closer probably to 65 at this point, but he has gotten to a point where he no longer wants to protect his family. He no longer wants to fight the battles. And so he's become passive and apathetic. And I need you to understand that when you become passive and apathetic to a sin, sin's main goal is to control you. Your sin's main goal is to make you a slave to it so that anything your sin wants, you crave it, you go after it in the very moment. That there's no discipline in your life to hold back. John chapter 8 verse 34, Jesus replied, listen, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin. And so right now I'm asking you this question. If you're struggling with lust, could it be because you're allowing lust into your home to control what you watch and what you listen to? You're no longer guarding your heart or your eyes. You're just letting everything in because it doesn't just affect you. It affects your entire family. Maybe right now you're struggling with relationships. Why? Because you don't guard your heart. You're just allowing anybody and everybody to come into your life. And you know that this relationship is not good for you. You know that your heart is going to be broken, but you would rather have your heart broken than be lonely for a time. It's crazy the sins that we chase because we don't want to be by ourselves. But the only reason we think we're by ourselves is because we're not in the presence of God. Because if you're in the presence of God, you know that he is with you. At all times, you're never alone, truly, in the battle that you're facing. For some of us, it's commitment because we're allowing a spirit of fear to tell us to run away every time it gets a little bit too serious. Because now you got responsibility over somebody. You got to take care of somebody else. But listen, the Lord will take care of you. Yes, you provide and yes, you help. But who is our provider? Where does everything come from? So everything good comes from above. And so We talked about this last week, and Paul said, listen, there are things in my life I don't want to do, but I do it. And the things that I want to do, I don't. I I struggle with my flesh. But then he said, thank God, for Jesus Christ has come to set me free. And, And Jesus said, listen, yes, sin wants you to be a slave to it, verse 34. But look at the very next verse, 35. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And whatever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom over your life. The Holy Spirit comes in, steps in and says, no, no, no. It's not time to do that anymore. There's discipline in your life now. There's a change to your mindset. There's a purpose for you. You know that purpose. Keep chasing it. Put a plan of action together so that you can see everything that God has for your life come true. But a lot of us, when we allow sin to just consume us, we make mistakes, right? We start to become apathetic and passive, and we lose the will to fight. And so we see this with David. 2 Samuel 12, 26 through 29. Now Joab, this is the commander of David's army, fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and, and captured the royal city. Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah, and I have even taken the city of waters. So now, listen, David, you need to assemble the rest of the men and camp against the city and capture it. Or I, listen to his wording here, or I will take the city myself and name it after me. Meaning, David, if you don't get your butt to the battle and come fight the enemy, then I'm going to conquer this land and name it after me. It's going to be Joab city. Okay, so you need to show up. And then the Bible tells us that once the message got across to David, David said, all right. He gathered the men together. He went out to battle. And guess what? There was victory over the fight. Victory was still on David's life every time he showed up to battle. So what does the enemy do? The enemy tries to convince you to never show up to the battle. Because of a past mistake, he tries to get into your head. Well, God can never use you again, but that's not true. Jesus has forgiven you. There's still victory in your life. But if he can convince you to stay put and paralyzed, you'll never fight. And a lot of us are doing that in our families in our relationships for our future because we've given up the will to fight. David's failure haunted him. Now, remember last week I told you, though, 
that there is no sin too great that God won't forgive. Okay, and, and thank you, Jesus. And, and David also wrote this in Psalms 103, verse 12. He said, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's removed my sin from me. I can't see it anymore. The Lord has cleansed me of these things. But I need you to understand, yes, Jesus has forgiven you, but we still live in a fallen world. And so there are still consequences to your decisions. So let me say it like this. You can pick your decisions. You cannot pick your consequences. And there's going to be some people in your life that are not ready to talk to you right away. There's going to be some people in your life that are not ready to just get together right away. They may need some time, but you keep pursuing peace and the love of God to be able to step into the promise. David knew, listen, his decision to be with Bathsheba was going to lead to a lot of unpleasant consequences for his family. And he knew this because the prophet Nathan revealed it all to him. Second Samuel. Chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, Nathan said, from this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. God is clearly saying you stole another man's wife and then you killed him. And remember, this shattered the Lord's heart. So this is what the Lord God says, because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. What he's saying to David is, David, since you went after another man's wife, division is coming into your house. Division is going to be the consequence that will take place. And anytime you scheme and deceive to take someone else's spouse, division will be the outcome of your home as well. Every time. That's the disorder that you're bringing into your home because you have believed the lie that the grass is greener on the other side because you don't see the blessings that are in your life or maybe you are in a chaotic environment, but trust the Lord, honor the Lord, even when you don't feel like it. Honor God because people will be for you and they may be against you the very next day, but God will always be for you. In every situation, he loves you, but when you bring trouble upon another person's house, understand this, there will be trouble on your house as well. Because what you sow is what you reap. But let me ask you this question right now. What are you sowing in your life? Some of us are complaining over the relationships that we have right now. Nobody is here for me. Why? Because every time you get into a conversation, you're griping. Every time you talk to people, maybe you're just talking about yourself and you're sowing selfishness and you're sowing these things of doubt and, and, and all these things of stress and worry and anxiety. And so you're noticing that the friends that used to be there are no longer in your life because you're sowing a lot of discord. And so nobody wants to be there. And so what you sow is what you reap. What are you putting into it? Listen to this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God, for you will always harvest what you plant. I love that. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death. If you want to gossip, guess what's going to happen to your relationships? If you want to cheat, guess what's going to happen to your relationships? What are you sowing they will harvest decay and death from sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit of God will harvest everlasting life from the Holy Spirit. And what I love about that also is that you're sowing seeds of peace. And that peace comes from above and comes upon your heart that no matter how things look or how things are falling apart, I know that my God is in control. And I'm looking at this story. David did a lot of horrific things things. And yet God still loved him. God still used him. Verse 13, after everything was mentioned to David, says, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And you won't die for this sin. What makes David different from King Saul? Saul rebelled against the Lord, but he lost everything. And if you look at the story, you notice that Saul truly never repented to the Lord. He wanted people's approval instead. And he even told the prophet Samuel to come with him so that people would still respect him. But when David realized what he had done, he confessed his sins over to the Lord and said, God, please forgive me. He also was held accountable for his sins. He understood the decisions that he made now are going to make life a little uneasy. And what I realized, listen, we have to understand that. 
There are so many people I see today that make bad decisions and then they blame God for what happens. You blame God for this relationship not working out, even though God said clearly that's not the relationship for you. You blame God that when you started speaking about people and and hurting people that now all of a sudden you're being hurt. Why? Because hurt people love to hurt people. But you're not listening to the Lord. And a lot of us are like, well, everybody just left me. I'm all alone. No, you're just not listening to the Lord. But today there can be a change. And there can be a change for your family. But you got to fight. And so what happened to David after this? Well, if you know the story, here's some context here. Uh, David had many wives and many children. And it was not the Lord's plan for his life, but it was the culture's idea of how a king should live. And many kings at this time would marry different women of different kings, the daughters of different kings, so that they could create an alliance with the nation. And so you see this often, especially within the Old Testament in the Jewish culture. And so because he had many wives and many children from the different wives, immediately we see a problem take place within the family. And his firstborn son, Amnon, started to fall in lust with his half-sister, Tamar. Now, notice what I said. I did not say fall in love. He fell in lust. There was a major difference between lust and love. Love respects boundaries. Lust has no respect for boundaries. So if you're in a relationship right now with someone who does not respect the boundaries that you're setting, understand that's not love, that's lust. That is a spirit of lust trying to damage the relationship. You need to get out of that and go follow Jesus. Keep listening to Jesus. The right, the right relationship will come at the right time. But there's a major difference between lust and love. And another thing that I see out of the Bible, did you know that lust can make you sick? When you give your attention to lust over and over again, and a lot of people that struggle even with pornography or lust or looking at, at sinful things, guess what? They struggle with depression a lot too. They had this depression because they feel like they've made such a horrible mistake that they cannot be found worthy with God anymore. Lust will come to destroy you and make you sick. It is demonic. 2 Samuel 13 verse 2, Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. He became ill because of his obsession and he gave his attention towards that lust. And listen, if you remember last week, we said, what has your attention determines your direction. And he couldn't look away. And so Amnon tragically took advantage of his half-sister Tamar because lust is a selfish demon that has no boundaries. And now she's devastated. And and Tamar, especially in the Jewish culture at that time, purity was everything to find somebody to marry and for a future. And so she felt like that was robbed from her, taken away from her. It wasn't her decision or her choice. And so I would think that she would run to King David. I would think that she would run to her dad and and her dad would embrace her in his arms and say, it's gonna be okay, I love you. You still have value in the eyes of God because that's what a good father would do. But she didn't even run to King David. She ran to her brother Absalom. Why? Because she thought that David would not be for her because he favored the men. He favored his sons, that he would not listen to her. So she didn't even have a relationship with her father to run to him when she felt damaged. And instead, she ran to her full-blooded brother, Absalom. And when Absalom found out what had happened to her, he was furious. Second Samuel chapter 13, verses 19 through 22. So Tamar put dust on her head to show grief and tore the long sleeve robe which she had on. She put her hand on her head and went away crying for help. So her brother Absalom said to her, has your brother Amnon been with you? Which tells us that there was some rumors going around. He had already heard something to know this. And once he realized that it was true, he said, okay, keep silent. My sister, he is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. So Tamar remained secluded in her brother Absalom's house. Now, okay, here it is. When King David heard about all these things, he was very angry. So surely now he would do something about it. She wasn't able to run to him, but surely when he found out, he would do something to protect his own daughter. He's David, the giant slayer. But instead, the Bible tells us that he failed here. He failed to take action. David heard about it. David became angry, but he did nothing. 
He had no conversation. He didn't reach out. He did not try to protect his daughter. He did not even speak to Absalom. He just became a ghost in the family. Sometimes that feels easier. Becoming a ghost because I, I believe for David, the moral failure in his life was so bad, he thought, who am I to correct this issue, issue after what I've done in my past? And listen, that's how the enemy gets in your head to stop you from fighting. Because again, if you stop fighting, the enemy will come in and he'll claim your family as his territory, his place. David failed to take action as a father. And so guess what? The devil took action instead. And so because he did not talk to Absalom, we all of a sudden now we see this bitterness growing in Absalom's heart, this hate and this rage on the inside. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon, either good or bad. But he hated Amnon. And I realized I know we all struggle with this, but I, I really see this struggle within men when it comes to feeling something and, and hurting on the inside, but we think we can't share it with anybody. We can't tell anybody, I'm, I'm angry, I'm, I'm frustrated, I, I feel devastated right now, but we feel like we gotta be hard sometimes and, and be the leader at all times, and, and that means not showing vulnerability or any type of weakness, and so sometimes we keep carrying the load and carrying the load and carrying the load until we just flip out. And now all of a sudden we're, we have this rage on the inside and sometimes we actually take it out on the people that we love the most. There needs to be communication in your life to free you because the Bible, yes, calls you a leader as a man over your household, but the Bible does not say you will be perfect. The Bible does not say that you will always have it all figured out, that in your weakness, he will give you strength. That strength comes from above, that you can go to your family and say, hey, you know what? I know things are tight right now. And I know it's been a little bit stressful, but my only solution is let's pray together. And in that prayer, there is healing. But Amnon or Absalom held in his hate and his rage. He didn't speak to anybody, either good or bad. But hate started to speak to his heart. And Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister, Tamar. Now, how long did the silence last? Surely David would say something within a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. Verse 23, two years later. Two years later and nothing had been said. No communication for a healing, no sympathy, nothing. Why? Because David gave up. So let me make this very clear. When you give up, you don't just give up on yourself. You give up on the people who need you the most. When you give up as a father, you give up on those who need you the most. When you give up as a mother, you give up on those who need you the most. When you give up as a child, there's still people looking towards you. There's still friends. There's still other people around you that are seeing an influence. And maybe you're saying, Pastor, I don't want an influence right now. But that's life. No matter where you are in life or what you're going through, you're making an impact in somebody's life. Somebody is watching you. And you're either making an impact for the kingdom of God or you're making an impact for the devil. By the way you talk, the way you look at life and the faith that is there, and I, and I get it. And it can be hard. I don't feel like it today, preacher. <laughs> I don't feel like it today to... Stand up straight and, and pretend that everything is okay. And that's not what I'm saying. You can be very real about the hurt that is in your life. But you can also know that God has a plan. And he didn't just leave you. And so my question for you today is this. Is, are you feeling this way right now? Is this your family? Are you on the verge of giving up on everything? Maybe you have become so numb, you don't have conversations anymore. The reason you and your spouse don't talk is because you have nothing to say. You bottled it all up on the inside. Or maybe you go to a drink instead. Maybe there's an addiction, so you just numb yourself so you don't have to deal with the pain. Or maybe, maybe you had an argument with your parents so long ago and no one said, I'm sorry. Nobody reached out, nobody texted, nobody called, and now you haven't talked in 10 years or a sibling because of a disagreement, maybe. 
but nobody reached out. So now you don't even like being in the same room with each other. And you, as far as you consider yourself, you're an only child now because you don't want to be anywhere near them. David had had such a hard time forgiving himself that he gave up as a father. And this also reveals another warning to us. When you don't give over your sins to God, you can give them to your children. Meaning when you don't pass your sins over to the Lord, you can actually pass them down to your children. Again, this is called a generational curse. The spirit of lust was in David's life. He never learned how to slay it, so he passed it down. But guess what? Demons travel with friends. Demons love to bring other friends into the environment, into your house, into the situation. And so since the spirit of lust was never cast out, all of a sudden he invited his friend bitterness and bitterness comes into the house to divide everyone in the family. And maybe that's you right now. And so maybe you're saying, pastor, I don't know how to get rid of this bitterness. I honestly don't know how to deal with this. I'm trying to read the Bible. I'm trying to pray, but I'm still so angry over what happened in my life. The things that they said, you don't know what they said about me. You don't know how I trusted them and they hurt me or they, they cheated on me and they left me and they broke up everything that was good. How do we overcome bitterness? The truth is we have to have some hard conversations because if you don't have communication to bring clarity, the only voices you'll be listening to are the voices of negativity and doubt and fear in your head. And so many of us don't want to get lost with our own thoughts, do we? For some of us, we don't even like to think much because that means all the past hurt and pain starts resurfacing on our mind. How do we overcome bitterness? Let me encourage you with this. The first step is to talk to God because, yeah, you can't pull out the root of bitterness, but Jesus can. And I need you to understand that Jesus is the only one that can pull out the root of bitterness in your heart from the things that have happened. Um, Psalm chapter 62, verse one and two, listen to this. I must calm down and turn to God. Meaning I gotta, I gotta put my emotions in check right now because anger, again, wants to control you. Lust wants to control you. Pride wants to control you. Bitterness wants to get the best of you. So you gotta calm down and say, all right, God, I need you. I'm feeling these emotions. They want to conquer me, but I wanna overcome evil with good. So Lord, I give it to you. I must calm down. And turn to God, for only he can rescue me, only Jesus. He is my rock, the only one who could save me. He is my high place of safety where no army can defeat me. No spiritual army of the devil can come against me because holy angels are guarding me. Why? For your peace. Your peace of mind, peace of heart and peace for your family and relationships. God does that all for you. The only way to overcome your emotions is to talk to God and allow Jesus to pull out that root of bitterness. Um, the only way to heal is to turn to Jesus as well. Psalms 147 verse three, he heals their broken hearts. So why do you keep giving your broken heart to other people who would just break it again? Some of us have relationship patterns that we go back to over and over again because we're not learning the lesson from the first time. It's all we know. Or maybe it's all you saw growing up. And so I'm telling you today, instead of just handing it to another person you barely know, give your heart over to the Lord for he is the one who heals broken hearts and bandages their wounds. First Peter chapter five, verse seven says, give all your worries to him, your anxieties and your stress. You can give it over to the Lord because he cares for you. He cares for you. He actually knows your situation when you cry, when you're, when you're hurt. Talk to God. And a lot of us love that part. We stop right there. But the second part of pulling out a root of bitterness is to also have a conversation with family. And I, I think when I say that, some of us are like, I'm not writing that one down. I like the first one. I don't want to talk to them. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 18 to 19 states it like this. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now listen to this. This is a verse we have gone over for the last couple of weeks. Dear friends, never take revenge, for leave it to the righteous anger of God. Dear friends, never take revenge on your family. Never take revenge on your friends. Never take revenge on those that have come against you, but instead bring peace first. The opportunity here is to bring peace into the situation. That should actually be your mindset. How can I bring bring peace to the, the storm that is taking place right now in my marriage, with my parents, with my children? But again, we would say, Pastor, but you don't know my family. And and I have reached out over and over again. I've tried my best. They will not talk to me. And you're right. You can't control everybody. And your job is not to control people, but allow God to control your emotions. And so what I'm telling you to do is, listen, you can reach out to people. You can try to bring peace. If they don't want to meet with you, then that's on them. But you need to do everything that you can to be right with God to get your heart right with God so there's no hate or bitterness growing up on the inside of you because again, hate wants to consume you and control everything that you do. You need to bring peace. But let me also clarify, when I say peace, I don't mean allowing people to walk all over you because sometimes that's what we think too. No, biblical peace is this. Peace means letting go of hurt and it also can mean setting biblical boundaries. Did you know that you can forgive somebody but it doesn't mean you have to allow them back into your home. There are some situations as a pastor where there is physical abuse. You can forgive them and love them from a distance, but they don't need to come back into your home. They will hurt you. It will become a toxic environment. So allow God to take care of that. Pray that they change, but also guard your home. It's okay. Biblical boundaries. We see this. Even Jesus did this. And so not only do you let go, set biblical boundaries, but you also can move forward this way. Because bitterness, guess what? It takes root so that you become paralyzed where you are. You know what happens when you become paralyzed? The same memory just replays over and over and over in your mind. It never goes away. So you stay in the same state of mind that Jesus wants to free you from. And so the Bible tells us, Paul says, take every thought captive. Take that thought captive and make it see the word of God to set you free. The promises of God and what he has for you. That's forgiveness. And another thing I want to say about forgiveness is this. Did you know that forgiveness actually means forward giving? Because I've also heard this, Pastor, I can't forgive them. It's like they're just getting away with everything. No, it just means you're forward giving to the Lord what you can't handle yourself. It doesn't mean they're getting away with what they've done in your life. You're just handing it over to the Lord for the just judge to handle them instead of you. Because he's going to handle them better. He's going to deal with them. And if they don't repent to the Lord, that's on them but it's not on you. That's forward giving and it will set you free, but you have to have conversations. One more thing. What if it's your child? What if your son won't speak to you or your daughter? And as I was writing this, I asked the Lord, what encouragement could I give for those that are dealing with that? And I felt the Lord speak to me, you know, in my times of hurt and pain and devastation, the spirit of God is always speaking. And so pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to them, speak to their heart, and they will hear his voice at the right time. Because just as you encountered the Spirit of God and changed your life, guess what? The Spirit of God would do the same for them. Don't stop praying and allow God to speak words that you can't into this situation. But in David's case, David didn't try That's the difference here. He didn't try to communicate with his son Absalom, and so Absalom only had his angry thoughts of rage and bitterness to talk to in his own head. And so guess what? Bitterness led to murder. And now he planned to kill his own brother, his half-brother. And he did it. He ambushed him. 2 Samuel 13, 32. Now Amnon is dead. But look at this. Absalom had been planning this from the day that Amnon raped his sister Tamar. Be careful not to plan revenge the moment you are hurt because it's very easy to do. It is so easy to plan revenge and how you're going to get them back. Instead of forgiveness, it's harder to forgive. 
Because forgiveness is a choice, but revenge is a choice too. You have to choose one. Only one will set you free. And we see because he committed this murder, it caused more division, and now he has to flee. Instead of being free and healed because of forgiveness, he murdered, and now he's leaving the family to his grandfather and goes, sure. And again, David was a passive father. 2 Samuel 13, 38 and 39, he stayed there in Geshur for three years. And King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, he longed to be reunited with his son Absalom, meaning he longed to talk to his son, but he never reached out. And for some of you, that kills you because that's where you are. You haven't received a text or a call or a show up. They didn't come to your games and tell you that they were proud of you. Never, you never heard any of it. You just saw it from friends and from TV. There's an anger and a bitterness growing. And so I pray that this helps. My last point of the message is this. The mercy you give determines the mercy you receive. How does that help, Pastor? Um, It preaches to us the weight of forgiveness as well. If we keep going along in the story, now we're in chapter 14. Joab, the commander of David's army, has had enough. He sees the infliction and the pain in David's life. So he's telling David, hey, look, we got to do something. But David doesn't want to reach out to his son. So Joab comes up with a plan. And his plan is to get this widow to tell this fake story. And she's going to tell a fake story that's going to speak to his heart. And hopefully David would now reach out to his son. So let's look at the story together. Second Samuel. 14 verses 1 through 3, Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. So he sent for a woman from Tekoa who had a reputation for great wisdom. And he said to her, I want you to pretend that you are mourning and wear mourning clothes and also do not put on lotions. I want you to look ashy is pretty much what he was saying to her. He said, like a woman who has been mourning for the dead for a long time Then go to the king and tell him the story that I'm about to tell you. And Joab told her what to say. And so now she's before King David, verses 5 to 11. David said, what's the trouble? And she says, alas, I am a widow. My husband is dead. She said to him, my two sons had a fight out in the field. And since no one was there to stop it, one of them was killed. Now the rest of the family is demanding, let us have your son. We will execute him for murdering his brother. He doesn't deserve to inherit his family's property. They want to extinguish the only coal that I have left. And my husband's name and family will disappear from the face of the earth. And King David told her, hey, leave it alone. Go home and I'll see it to it that no one touches him. She said, oh, thank you, my lord, the king. The woman from Tekoa replied, if you are criticized for helping me, let the blame fall on me and my father's house and let the king and his throne be innocent. And David said, if anyone objects, bring him to me. And I can assure you, he would never harm you again. Now, the conversation went good. But that's not why she showed up. This is a fake story. She had something to say. And and she had a lot of guts to say what she said next because she could be killed for it. Verse 12 and 13. Please allow me to ask one more thing. Lord, the king, go ahead and speak. And then she said to him, why don't you do as much for the people of God as you have promised to do for me? You have convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring home your own banished son. She boldly was stating, King, why are you showing mercy to my family but not showing mercy to your own? Because it was also dangerous. See, it was also the king's responsibility to bring Absalom back because now He could create revenge and he can cause a rebellion, which he did in the story as we'll continue next week. But it was unsafe for his son Absalom to just go free and be where he wanted to be. So as a king to protect the people of God, he should have brought him back. But as a father, he should also try his best to reach out to his son. And she's saying to him, why are you showing mercy to my family, a family you've never met, but you will not show mercy to your own? And then I realized how difficult it is because for many of us today, it is way easier to forgive people we barely know, but so much harder to forgive family. Sometimes it's harder to forgive your parents 
or your siblings. And here's a crazy reality. For a lot of us, we can show the love of Jesus to a lot of strangers and a lot of people on the outside, yet we don't show it in our own home. You don't show it in your marriage. You just shout at each other. You argue all the time. You never show the love of Christ. You don't show it to your own children in your house. You just yell at them and get on to them and condemn them all the time. And I get it. We're human beings. We have emotions. We mess up on days. But do you also show them the love of God as much as you're yelling at them? You ever say, I'm sorry? It's crazy how we can say sorry over and over again to people we barely know. But when it comes to our own family, we won't speak to each other for 10 years. She asked. Why aren't you showing the same mercy? And as I wrote this, I heard from the Lord, tell my people, why are they not showing the same mercy I'm showing them? Conviction for us all. Because God shows us what? Mercy every single day. And the scriptures are very clear. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. When you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others so that your father in heaven will also forgive you. For with you, if you withhold forgiveness from others, Your father withholds forgiveness for you. Meaning the mercy you give can also determine the mercy you receive. And and you remember how Jesus taught us how to pray? Matthew 6, verse 12, it states, forgive us of our sins so that we have, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. You know what the Lord was teaching us how to pray? He he was saying, say it like this. "Um, God, forgive me of my sins in the same way I forgive other people. We don't like that translation, though, because how, to, how have you forgiven people this past week? And would you want God to forgive you in the same way you're forgiving other people? Because a lot of us will say, I've forgiven, but we still hold it over their head, right? You know what the biggest test of forgiveness is? When you bless somebody you can't stand. That's a big test. And God sometimes will offer that to you so that you can bless somebody you hate, you can't stand, but you're giving it over to the Lord so that hate doesn't consume you anymore. You actually have love for a person that tried to damage you. Why? Because you left them in the hands of God. And you can bless them and understand that God will bless you for your obedience. It's for you. It's to release you from a prison on the inside of your mind. Forgive me as I forgive them. And so, like I said, the, the Lord has been speaking to my heart. And as I was writing this, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to share the story. And I said, no, God, I don't want to. But I got to listen. Uh, because I believe this story can help a lot of people who relate to it and are going through it right now. And I have mentioned many times in the past about my own brother. Um, When I was very young, my brother got in a terrible accident. Him and his friend were drinking and driving, and they went around a sharp curve, and they had a head-on collision with another man who I believe was a pastor, and and that man died, and my brother's best friend who was driving died as well, and my brother's body was messed up. His, His face became shattered because of the wreck. He wasn't himself. He didn't look like himself anymore. I mean, everything appearance-wise changed completely. His demeanor changed completely as well because of the loss that took place. He had to be fed through a straw for a long time. And they put metal plates in his face just to try to make everything look normal. But he knew it wasn't normal anymore. And when things like that happen in your life, you have to make a decision. And you're either going to run to God to receive his healing or you're going to run away from God to receive hurt and more pain and bitterness. And unfortunately for my brother, he ran away from God and more towards towards the addiction and alcohol especially. And I want you to know addiction stole my relationship from my brother and me. And that's what addiction will do in your own life. And if you're suffering it, Right now with a sibling or a parent, you know that when addiction comes into the family, addiction is very selfish and demonic and it will always steal the people you love away from you so that you no longer have a relationship. They, can, they become completely different people possessed by these demons. And 
That's what happened to my brother, and unfortunately for a long time, I don't know how to reach out to him or see him or talk to him. He loses his phones. He's on the street sometimes. He's in rehabs. It's hard. I mean it when I say I know what it's like to try to reach out and, and not know how to talk to the person you love or even how to go about it. I get it. But as I was writing this, the Lord reminded me to not let go of my brother. To not let go of him and believe that the Lord can do something that no man cannot do. And in the last six months, something miraculous has happened for me personally. I've had three different people come up to me who have not talked to each other and have said almost the same thing. The first woman that came up to me and my family said, I had a vision at the new building, the new church building, that your brother would be here and he would be saved and he would be serving. Another person reached out and said, I had a dream and I saw the letter J. What is your brother's name? It says, Josh. And she said, I saw him give his life to Christ and, and he was at the new building. And then a third person came to me and said, hey, the prodigal son is your, your, your brother and he's coming home. When I was in Israel, I, I was praying with a group out there and they asked me, who do I wanna pray for? A family member and I said, my brother and I couldn't hold back tears and I was like, God, why am I crying? <laughs> and we started to pray and I realized where we were standing in Israel, we were standing at the walls of Jericho. My brother's name is Joshua. And the Lord revealed at that moment that the walls would fall down of addiction eventually. And God said, just let it go. The reason I'm telling you our story is because I don't know what you're going through at this moment, but what you're dealing with, what pain is in your life or who you have lost in your family. But I do know that you can release it all to a good God who loves you. And he's always good at bringing the prodigal back home in ways that you can never do yourself. The truth is we all have family dysfunction, don't we? And even the, the family of Jesus, you know, his own brothers didn't believe that he was the son of God in the beginning. There was dysfunction there. But eventually they found out. And so I'm looking at the story because now the widow has, has said to David, listen, you're not showing the same mercy to your own family. But then she says something so poetic and, and deep. In verse 14, she said, all of us must die eventually, David. Our lives are like waters spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Meaning, David, listen, you're holding a grudge and your son has bitterness right now. And this is his lifeline. And life is short, David. Remember, David is already around 65 years old. Life is very short. Do you really wanna live the rest of your life not speaking to your own child, not reaching out, not, not saying I'm sorry, not giving a hug or a love because that's how quick time can be gone from you. And anything can happen tomorrow. You're saying, David, don't waste any more time before time is completely run out. Reach out to your son and just let him know it's an option. It's an option to come home. And then she says, but God does not just sweep away life. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. Do you understand? This is about Jesus. In the Old Testament, she's telling us about Jesus, that no matter how far gone you are from God, he will send his son to redeem you, to restore you. Like the prodigal son, he will come out to hug you, to embrace you, no matter how far you are. God will continue to speak to your heart, but it's up to you to run to him. Matthew 11, verse 28, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. John 14, verse six, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. First Timothy 2, five and six, there is only one God 
And there is only one way that people can reach God. That way is through Christ Jesus, who as a man gave himself to pay for everyone in this room and watching online so that we can be free from the misery that wants to control us. Because this world is short. But what comes next is forever. So don't allow bitterness to make you fall from grace or forgiveness from the Lord's presence. And then the widow said, listen, this kind of made me laugh. She said, listen, it was Joab that made me say all this, by the way, King. 2 Samuel 14, verse 19, and, and David said, did Joab put you up to this? And the woman replied, my Lord, the King, how can I deny it? Nobody can hide anything from you. Yes, Joab sent me this and, and told me what to say. And then Joab was probably sweating. I think he was there. And David says in verse 21, look, I will do what I promised. Now, please bring back the young man, Absalom. David said, bring back my son. It's time. So how do we move forward and forgive family? Let's review. The first thing is that you need Jesus to remove the root of bitterness. He's the only one that can do it. Only God can remove the root of bitterness that is in your heart. Let no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble or defile your hearts. The second thing is this, forgiveness means forward giving. You're not allowing them just to get away with it. You're just giving it over to the Lord because he can handle it better than you ever could. The third thing is this, you have to understand the mercy you give determines the mercy you receive. How can you hold on to unforgiveness? Unforgiveness is the language of hell, not heaven. So how can you say, I'll never forgive them, but ask God for forgiveness every single day? There has to be a change. But the last thing is this, listen, if you tried all that you can and you try to bring peace into the family and you reached out and nobody's speaking to you and you just feel alone, I want you to understand you were never alone for God will not abandon you. Psalms 27 verse 10, even if my father and mother abandon me, my God never will. He will hold me close. Come on. So I'm gonna have you stand right here. And I, and I pray, I pray that you receive this word because the word can be good, but if your heart is rocky soil, hardened soil, it won't take it in. You'll hear it, it'll go through one ear and out the other. I don't want that for you. But if the soil is ready, the good seed that the Lord has planted will begin to grow and take out the root of bitterness. And so right now, if you're struggling with forgiving somebody, forgiving a family member, or maybe even forgiving yourself, which by the way, that's next week's conversation, how to forgive yourself, will you just raise your hand right now? Raise them high, raise them boldly. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for deliverance today. God, I pray even for those that are online right now watching that need to let go of some bitterness. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, will you just pick out that root of bitterness from their hearts? You're the only one that can do it. And I pray, Lord, help us to show the grace that you give to us on a daily basis. I pray, Lord, for forgiveness, for forward giving, giving you the hurt and giving you the pain and no longer holding on to the past, but moving on into the promises that you have for us. And I thank you, Jesus, that even when people are not for us, you will never abandon us, that you will always hold us close. I thank you, God, that we get to be in your holy presence. For yours is the kingdom and the glory forever. And so we love you so much. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you've been blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss future messages. And if you feel led to give to this ministry, check out the link in the description and see the other ways you can get connected.